0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, December 7th, 2015. I'm Caleb Brown. The Medicaid expansion built into the Affordable Care Act threatens state budgets and the private sector provision of health insurance. But there are ways states can mitigate its effects. Justin Owen is president of the Beacon Center of Tennessee. At the State Policy Network annual meeting, we talked about what Tennessee is doing to extend the promise of affordable health care. What were the incentives placed before states? in Obamacare's Medicaid expansion?
1: Well, the first was mandatory expansion uh, until the Supreme Court ruled that the federal government couldn't force the states to expand Medicaid. Uh, they were going to be required to do so, uh, and, and massively. Uh, Unfortunately, unfor- uh, one silver lining of the first Obamacare uh, lawsuit was that the Supreme Court said, unless you fund it entirely, you, the federal government, can't force states to expand Medicaid. So that gave the states the option. Uh, Of course, a lot of states have expanded Medicaid, predominantly Democratic states, though several Republican governors have also expanded Medicaid. Uh, Many have done so unilaterally because uh, in some cases they can do so without legislative approval. Uh, In Tennessee, that's a little different because of what our legislature did after the Supreme Court ruling, but before our governor proposed the Medicaid expansion uh, to take some ownership of that decision and, and take some of the power away from the governor.
0: In Kentucky, my home state, Steve Beshear, essentially created the Medicaid expansion out of whole cloth. States had that option after the uh, Supreme Court opinion, but the legislature didn't weigh in. The legislation doesn't say what a state is, really. It doesn't say that there's a, a single spokesman for the interests of the state. And it just, it proceeded. And there wasn't much of a complaint about it, because Kentucky is a very poor state. They benefit greatly in terms of uh, uh, Medicaid funding, so it actually wasn't controversial.
1: In even in states where it is controversial, uh, the legislature has little power to stop the governor. This has ultimately been a decision by governors to expand Medicaid or, or reject an expansion. The only real role the legislature plays in that is through the budget process. They could effectively withhold funding if they wanted to stop an expansion, but we really haven't seen that among a lot of legislators I will give credit to Tennessee's General Assembly for stepping up right after the Supreme Court decision and saying, we don't think an expansion is good for our state, and even if it is, we're going to make this decision. It's going to be a legislative decision. Uh, The governor can't do this alone. So we actually became the first state in the country where a Republican governor proposed an expansion and a Republican legislature rejected it, not once but twice. How did that come about? So the governor proposed right before Christmas, of course, uh, an effort to expand Medicaid. He reframed it. He called it Insure Tennessee. He said that it was not an outright expansion of Medicaid. And to his credit, it was different than just, we'll take the federal dollars, and we'll put people on Medicaid. Uh, they did give people an option. You could go on tra- to traditional Medicaid, or you could essentially get a subsidy to pay for insurance through your employer. Um, when he proposed that, the legislature had a special session that he called right before their normal session where they could debate nothing but this particular issue. So they had a week-long session just to debate the Medicaid expansion. Uh, the goal was to get it through committee and then to the floor of both the House, house and Senate, uh, yet the committee in the, in the Senate uh, rejected it pretty, pretty handily uh, before it could move any further in either house. And that was that. And that was that. Um, there was a lot of wrangling over it. It was really a David versus Goliath situation because the hospital industry is very strong in Tennessee. We have some of the largest hospitals uh, in the country, if not the world, uh, based in Nashville. And so the pressure from the hospitals on the governor and legislators was very strong. All of the, the insurance industry, pretty much every lobbyist on the Hill in some way or another was in support of a Medicaid expansion Uh and Those who supported it outspent those of us who opposed it 50 to 1, Uh, TV, radio ads, all that stuff, and not to mention the lobbying aspect. So we had very little resources to fight it, uh, but we we fought very valiantly and very hard, and ultimately we took the, the policy debate on. Everybody wanted to say, well, you want to reject this just because it's Obama and you don't like Obama. Uh, We took a different approach and we made it about the policy and we went and testified. Beacon was the only organization to testify against it. About a dozen groups testified for the proposal. Uh, Our policy director and I alone testified for some three hours uh, in committee on the issue. And we ultimately asked the the legislators who are voting on this, can you trust the federal government? You know full well that they have abused their power, and reneged on promises time and again in other areas, even if you like what Governor Haslam is putting forth, can you trust that the federal government will fulfill its promises and make do on those? And ultimately, the answer to that was a resounding no. Now, Now there have been two
0: Supreme Court decisions that have effectively upheld the Affordable Care Act. So what, at this point, can states do to... Uh, blunt the effects of of that on you know the individual market for health insurance, among others.
1: there are actually a lot of things, and fortunately we're starting to see some of this play out because I think there's this exasperation with Washington that not only has Chief Justice Roberts gone well out of his way to uphold Obamacare twice now, but nobody sees anything happening in Washington. They don't see this being resolved one way or the other. So states are starting to step up. Granted, their authority to do so is limited, but we've looked at various solutions. We've already passed one in Tennessee that's really sweeping the nation that helps those most in need, and that's Right to Try. When we're talking about who needs the most access or quickest access to health care, well, it's our terminally ill patients. They only have a set amount of time. And what Right to Try says is if you're terminally ill, you can access drugs that have been deemed safe by the FDA but are still going through that decade-long FDA process, and it could be up to a decade before you get that. These patients don't have that much time. So we, like now, I think 24 other states have passed right to try to say, this decision is between you and your doctor. And that not only helps terminally ill patients, but it resets the discussion about who should be in control of these decisions. And it also resets the discussion about the role of the federal government one agency, the FDA, controlling all these decisions versus states giving their individual citizens more power. So that's a huge step for terminally ill patients in particular, but also for the discussion at large. Uh, We will be proposing a series of other solutions uh, next legislative session, direct primary care, for example, where low-income patients, those who would otherwise have gone on to Medicaid if we expanded it, can go into an inter- a contract with their doctor for say thirty, forty, fifty bucks a month, like a gym membership and have access to see that doctor. We've got doctors in Oklahoma who have really pioneered this, uh, and our friends at the the think tank there, the Oklahoma Council for Public Affairs have really been a driver in this. Uh, we've uh, got a doctor in Chattanooga who's already exploring this. So doctors want to take more ownership of their time with patients, and if they're doing a contract with their patient, rather than having to go through the administrative process of getting paid by the insurance company and all that stuff, they're going to spend more time with their patients. And so direct primary care is really a way to put that decision, again, between the doctor and the patient. So, How problematic is uh, Medicaid For
0: physicians in Tennessee. I hear complaints about it all the time in in other states, reimbursement rates and that sort of thing. But how problematic is that in
1: Tennessee? Well, the problem is really twofold. One, reimbursement rates are lower. So, going back to your home state of Kentucky, they thought that everything was going to be solved for the hospital's financial crisis if they just expanded Medicaid. Well, guess what happened? ER rates shot up, people started going to the ER more, and the reimbursement rates are lower. So, hospitals in some cases are worse off as a result of the expansion, because they're seeing more patients, yet they're getting paid less. And so now they're asking for even more money. Uh, so that's one problem that it's not going to solve the issues that the hospitals have brought forth. The other issue from a Medicaid expansion standpoint is that two in five doctors in Tennessee, for example, already refuse to see new Medicaid patients. So when you go on to Medicaid, all of a sudden you find yourself in this really long line, because almost half the doctors in our state are saying they're not going to see you. And so the access to quality care is significantly lessened when you expand Medicaid. And one of the things we talked a lot about and will continue to do so is this differentiation between insurance, between that and actual care. There's a difference between giving someone an insurance card than giving them quality health care. Just because you give them free insurance doesn't mean they're going to get good care. Another issue that we'll be dealing with uh, next session is certificate of need. So when you go... Uh, As a hospital, you say you want to expand the number of beds in your hospital or add an MRI machine, you literally have to go get the government's permission to do that. What that does is stifles competition and certainly reduces the access to care.
0: And the arguments for certificate of need are incoherent.
1: They're super incoherent. They say if we limit supply, we can lower cost. (laughs) From an economic standpoint, that is literally backwards. I mean, you understand hospitals
0: have an interest in... When they make an investment, they want that investment to pay off. So if they, if they receive the approval from the state to get that MRI machine, they know that people from a great distance around them are going to have to come to that hospital for that access. But that's not how investment
1: works in every other part of the economy. Well, and that's why our healthcare system is so screwed up, because we use illogical economics uh, to, to promote the system. So we're looking at a certificate of need full repeal, ideally, or at least repealing it on certain services and equipment to, again, expand access to people, uh, for people to have that care. We were sort of surprised, to be honest, that uh, we thought that this was going to be a long-term fight, and it certainly still could be. But our legislature seems to be very interested in tackling this issue because now that they've rejected a Medicaid expansion, the ball is sort of in their court. The onus has been put on them to actually do something. So when you're looking at solutions, they're really attracted to repealing or at least scaling back certificate of need, these antiquated laws uh, that are on the books. Giving, access, giving doctors and patients more control over these decisions through direct primary care. So I think we're going to actually see some really robust and healthy reform discussions in Tennessee because we rejected Medicaid expansion. So for us, we got this whole insurance discussion out of the way. Now let's go discuss how we can actually put quality care in front of patients across our state.
0: People forget that certificate of need is something that prevents new
1: services from popping up almost anywhere without a government permission slip. That and it harms your local clinics the most. And so if you're talking about a hospital closing in an area, well, maybe there's not enough demand for that hospital to exist, but a few small clinics could exist. And so if they have trouble getting MRI machines and other types of equipment and services approved by the government, you're going to not have that access to services. And innovation is a beautiful thing. I mean, we can do so much with innovation in healthcare. Think of uh, their number of services who call themselves the Uber of healthcare. You can get regular checkups on your cell phone now that go directly to your doctor. Telemedicine could allow a patient in rural Tennessee to see a top-notch Vanderbilt doctor a hundred miles away by going to a clinic staffed by a nurse and talking to their doctor on an iPad. I mean you can do great things to expand access to care. Ultimately it involves government getting out of the way rather than imposing more regulations or throwing more people onto programs like Medicaid. Justin Owen is president of the Beacon Center of Tennessee. We spoke at the State
0: Policy Network's annual meeting in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Subscribe to this and other Cato podcasts at iTunes, Google Play, and at Cato.org.